Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Art, the young Grognard, bringing it to you live on stage with Back to the Herald of Steel campaign, the adventure, the master, the quest of schemes and shadows, or of shadows and schemes. Honestly, take your pick. I don't care at this point. But in the last episode, our party had met with this strange, mysterious, and spooky Dashmani who had some strange and mysterious and spooky things to say. Very Dungeness indeed. And the party also had a strange run-in with the Tome Guard, finding these people to be a little strange in the fact that they kind of operate outside the law, have a little bit of grumpy attitudes to them, and try to control things. But a strange friendship between Klika and some strange guy named Corin seemed to somehow manage to stay the hand. Strangely. There's a burp in there, too. Somebody burped at some point in the episode. I just kind of make it authentic. But that aside... Uh, Klika, apparently aided by Jarzak the Tall, uh, went to the library hoping to figure out some mysteries about the, uh, the uh, statue in the center of the Grand Market um, on the day before the party leaves to go to the Elven Wood to go speak with Obroth. Um, but the last point we were at was with Jarzak falling asleep in the library. And at this point, a couple of librarians seem to be uh, telling Jarzak to get up. It didn't work. He's still sound asleep. They gotta try harder. <laughs> Sawing logs. <laughs> and so they bonk him a couple times and they tell him to get up and start calling him up. Hey! hey oh, who is it? And as he you look around... throws his fists up. What do you want? <laughs> and so when you look around, you can see that Klika and that old guy are no longer there. Klika! And they say, please gather your things and leave. It is after hours and you need to go. Yeah, where's 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 the little one I was with? And they kind of both look at each other confused and they say, I'm afraid we don't know what you're talking about. We're the night crew. It's been quite a few hours since we imagined you came in here. We thought perhaps there was a monster outside, but it turns out it was just you snoring down here in this level. So if you'd be so kind as to leave. Yeah. Okay, do you have any like book checkout system where you have to write your name because I'm looking for for a certain name on a book uh, do they have some sort of system like that or they all have to keep the books in the library the books stay in the library okay all right uh thanks for waking me up see ya so does he leave uh yeah, he's going to do a quick scope of, like, the 
area down there, like while kind of walking out to try and see if like where the fuck Klika could have gone. I mean, this is a major library in a major city. And so it's a very big place with lots of hallways and avenues and things like that set up. So being able to see her here, the fact that you don't see her anywhere right off the bat shows either she went home or she is so far gone in this place that you wouldn't be able to find her with these two poking you with rulers and telling you to leave. Is there any way I can dodge these two? Lose, if, lose them going up and out? I mean, if you'd like to, you can make... I mean, they look like a couple of old people. Like, it's going to be very easy to make a run for it and just outrun them and run around. But I warn you that running around in one of the most prized places inside the entire city may involve the guards very quickly. And as much as a trespassing charge is going to look great on Jarzak's criminal record... It wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, <laughs> no, if, you, if your PO hears, out, hears about this, Jarzak... <laughs> It's oh, not going to be good. Shit. I just hear Klika's voice in my head say that. And I'm like, oh, Klika right, is Klika. the PO. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, so you said down here. So we were like on a different like, level. No, you're on like the bottom floor. There's just uh, a secondary okay. floor with a bunch of balconies. Then there's the third floor, which is another series of huge balconies. And it looks like there's probably basements, just judging by how many uh, stairwells seem to so, look. Uh, Jarzak's just gonna be like, uh, yeah, so I think my friend might be up on the second floor. You mind if I go grab her real quick before leaving? And so with that, she sticks her fingers in her mouth and she whistles this ear-piercingly loud whistle and then she screams at full volume, if there's anybody still in this library, you must leave! And she says, if your friend doesn't leave, then we'll deal with her like we would deal with you if you don't leave. We are gonna have the guards come in and they'll do the final sweep as they always do. Please, Go. Okay. You can wait outside if you'd like. Uh, will do. Yeah, Jarzak's going to wait outside. Uh, is there any way I can like check around the building, see if there's any uh, like other exit or entrance? Um, I, mean, I don't know if it's like sealed off by other buildings or something. No, so. I mean, it, it stands alone, and it's a pretty hefty building. But looking around and going around to the back and everything, there are other ways out, but these don't seem like the way out that like anybody would actually reasonably take. You know what I mean? Like, this is like a fire exit sort of kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas the grand entrance in the front is all kinds of fancy schmancy. So. But either way, with that, did you want to just wait out front? Yeah. So, Klika, uh, on the other hand, this old man... He managed to sort of coax you in with more of these stories and says that he has downstairs in the sub-basement uh, a special room for people like you who want to know the history of this place. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid the answer is yes. Yeah. I, mean, there's, <laughs> I was just going to say, she's hesitant just because the wording a special room for people like you sort of just Brings, whoa, whoa, whoa. Her, hey. brings her back to um, when she was being experimented on and just like all that stuff but she decides to trust this man because he seems I don't know just good at stories yeah he <laughs> doesn't seem like he doesn't have the nature to him that the mages that experimented on her do so that when you go down into the sub basement as you leave hesitantly leaving Jarzak behind he says Oh, it's okay. We'll be up in time, I'm sure. I'll keep the story short. 
And as he leads you down into a sub basement, you walk by what appeared to be like cobblestone or hewn stone walls there. And he pushes his hand onto one of the stones and the stones begin to kind of like piece away from each other and like pull away in this like sort of like pulling apart kind of motion as revealing something of a hidden doorway. And he says, I promise you, this looks a lot scarier than it is, but I'm sure if you truly have some of that dragon blood, you understand fine magics. This is nothing more than illusion. And he steps through and walks in and the room illuminates in a very pale white, almost reminiscent of the kind of light that Anton carries. And he steps into this chamber, which itself seems very comfortable. It's got like, like carpeting that's very like shag ruggy kind of deal. But the walls themselves, you recognize that there's no light actually built into the walls of the sconces or anything like that. And instead, it's just like this giant pattern of illustrations that kind of wraps around the walls, like impossibly so, as if there's like so much fine detail to every square inch of wall in this place. And the whole room itself almost domes inward like a, like a bubble kind of shape. And at the top, sort of crescenting the ceiling, it looks like the um, like the chandelier that's illuminating the room almost gives off a visual effect that as you look up directly at it, you can tell that the image at the top of the room that sort of holds everything kind of in center, it looks like a brass dragon itself. And it seems to be like shooting the chandelier down into the center of the room as it's set sort of per like a, a permanently floating in the middle of the room, illuminating as it does. And as you walk in, he sort of opens his arms up and spreads them out and shows you the room. And he says, in here is the history of all of Dustwind. He says, anything you'd ever want to know, the dragons, all of these things. He says, as he points up to that one dragon at the ceiling and he says, this, this is the father of this place. A fine dragon indeed, lived here a long, long time ago. Master of oratory, no matter what anybody else says. And so with that, he sort of tells you the story is, that the uh, two dragons who were seemingly having an argument in the fountain were actually brothers. And both of them were having a debate about the most finite, strange part of a story that they both know. But the problem is, is that nobody truly knows what the argument was about. It's just something about a fine little detail that this old guy seems to be telling you that it's probably the most important detail of the entire story. The detail that both of them disagreed on. He's like, I know it sounds like the difference between having a monster with 3,666 scales is not that different from a monster with 3,665 scales, but it makes all the difference in numerology. And truly, anybody would know that. And once you step into this room and start looking around at all these impossibly detailed pictures, you notice as you turn back that there's no doorway out. And as you look around this room, you can tell that like the runes and the images begin to kind of light up as he speaks about them. And as he does, he turns around the room over and over again. And he finally ends a story about the numerology of scales as he takes one single breath. And you recognize that the longer he talked, the faster he spoke. And the more he talked, the more his voice kind of like droned into your brain until you're just kind of sitting there like you're stoned and the room is spinning and you're laying in the middle of the beanbag in the middle of the room and just like looking at all the pretty lights and the pictures lighting up. And his voice is just kind of enchanting as he continues his story. And at one point he gets to a part of the story where he says, he says, I think, Klika, there's a part of this story that perhaps you're more familiar with than you think. And he says, you see, the father of this land, the dragon who controls all of Dustwind. He was very lonely and he wanted all the children of the world to hear his stories. So he moved to a place like this after the argument with his brother 
and he made it his own. Truly, he could not live in a place that was not arid and one that was not covered in sands, and thus dust wind became, well, windy and dusty. Truly a fitting location and a beautiful one at that. More of a more of a, a jewel in the in the plains rather than a diamond in the desert or, or something like that. And he kind of looks back down at you and he says, and this dragon, he loved every single one of his children. And he loved everyone who came close to him. And rumor has it that anyone who listened to all of his stories was blessed with draconic blood. Anybody who could be so gifted as to hear his tales was gifted with draconic blood. And he looks at Klika, who now, after about a 45-minute lecture about the number six and the number five, is still kind of like, what about seven? But he turns to you and he says, but Klika, I need you to understand that there's something that makes you special. And it's that blood that you have within you. It's the honesty of your heart. And that's something nobody can take from you. Understand me on this. Though people may try to understand what you have to you, nobody will understand what magic you truly possess. Do you understand me, Klika? Um, Klika thinks so. Um, I really liked the room and your stories were nice. He puts a single hand on your cheek and kind of pinches it in a little rolling fashion. He says, you're no child of the dead, Rika. Truly not. You're a child of Dustwind, Klika. And I think it's time you understand that you are so much more than what you think you are. Your name is not Klika. In fact, that was the name that your mother gave you as a nickname, for she didn't really appreciate the full name that I gave to you. Klika Terelius, you could have been so much more, but they took you from me and you found your way back. And so that he starts to kind of well up a little bit and he turns downward and you see a couple of little tears fall out and he says, but you've come back and you've come back to stay. I am father of Dustwind and this could all be yours too. You are a child of Dustwind. You shall inherit this place. You will carry all the stories that I can't. He says, don't you understand? You're the one that came back. Um, well, I, I don't really remember my mom or anything like that, but... Of course uh, not. Um, they Klika, took you. My finest of advisors took you. Klika's Harbach isn't dust wind not yet Klika still has adventures she needs to go on with her friends and so with that he looks puzzled angry and also kind of a little bit like happy with this and he says perhaps this is true but I you he says you don't understand he says you are so much more than that goblin culture he says, you are so much more than that. He says, you are nobility of the sands. You are, you are the lifeblood of Dustwind. And I need you to understand that all you have learned is a lie. Your slavery and internment to those mages, he says, it could have all been avoided if I had trusted better people in my life. He says, but they took you. They took you and your mother. He says, I just, 
I gave you a home here and you could have been so much more. He says, and you still can be. He says, look at you. And he says, you've grown into such, such a powerful and prominent young woman. He says, and it is my belief that you can become so much more with all that I can teach you. You can learn all the stories. You can gain all of the proficiencies with magic. I can teach you everything, Klika. I could be your Arbach. Um, you just need to believe me. But maybe Klika can come back later and learn all the stories? No, 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 no. There is so much I have to teach you. Unfortunately, I don't think that if you left and came back, you'd have much time. There is, there is a lifetime's worth, a dragon's life's worth of, of things to learn and things to hear. Please, you must stay. No, Klika, Klika has to go with her friends. So at this point, Jarzak's been waiting outside for like two hours and nothing has really seemed to happen. And I imagine Jarzak knowing that the library is pretty much closed down feels a need to go and look for her himself because it it seems in his belly that she's likely in this place still. Yeah, Jarzak waits till like the guards do their sweep and then he'll try to get in. Okay. And I'll even say that like getting in is not hard at all using the back door entrance and sliding through like one of the windows that's cracked. You manage to like punch it out or something like that. As I imagine, Jarzak doesn't care much about the property of a building in a city that he doesn't like. Yep. But you slide back in into the uh, the main floor, and you can tell that all the lights are out inside of here. But using the darkness vision gifted to you from the uh, Great Deceiver, you see in this place as if it's, you know, normal vision. And so as you're walking around inside of here, um, you probably are going to turn to going upstairs. You do a sweep. You find nothing. Third floor, find nothing. And scouring around for like an hour's time. And finally, take it upon yourself to go down into the basements. And as you're walking around into one of the sub-basements, um, you hear like the faintest rumbling as if there's almost like, it almost sounds like if somebody was like punching concrete, like the sound of like just like weird deep-seated vibrations against hard stone, okay? And you look around, but you notice that like these walls are all hard stone and you're in a basement. So that's just kind of peculiar. And it probably puts you a little bit on edge considering all that you guys have gone through dealing with spooky evil guys and whatnot. But And walls that eat people come to life, you know? And so at this <laughs> point, you uh, walk down another series of hallway down here. And as you take a bend and walk down another little bit of a spooky looking corridor, you see Klika laying on the floor fast asleep. How the hell did you end up here? Uh, Jarzak's gonna... Oh, that's like pick... the most Jarzak thing I've ever heard. Just be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, Jarzak's gonna pick up Klika as gently as he can and carry her back to the inn. She is just full on like little kids sleeping, like sack of potatoes, like flopped over your shoulder sleeping. Yeah, just like super careful getting back out the window. <laughs> and so with that, you uh, head back out the window and manage to get back to the tavern at about one o'clock in the morning or so. Well after Anton and Norhill have gone to bed. What would Anton and Norhill have done with those two not coming back? Hmm. I have a weird feeling. I, I didn't trust the tome guard right away. So I'm kind of worried they may have gotten involved once more. 
very much the two like parents of the group and <laughs> the kids just didn't come home Anton's just sitting there knitting what's <laughs> over at Norhill whose face is in behind a newspaper and just like I'm not know, they mad. We're, we're not mad we're just worried just uh it's past 11 that was curfew right <laughs> like we're not mad we're just disappointed in you um <laughs> I mean, a party is like how how long has it been? Like two two hours, three. I mean, they don't get back until one o'clock in the morning, and usually you guys are probably going to go to bed at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock. So, and yeah, we probably <laughs> I after we checked into the inn, we probably left. So that would have been around like two thirty, three o'clock. So, yep, almost twelve hours. So, uh, with that, I imagine you guys might go back to Dashmani's house and go check over there to see, just because that's the last, like, relocation you had seen. Maybe look around the market real quick. Yeah. Do you think I specifically say she was going to the market? Yeah. The, the look at the dragon statues again? Yeah. And so we'll say that Anton and Orhill kind of scour the place for a few hours and don't find anything until... And so uh, you'd probably go out after dark anyway, probably around 9 o'clock. So by about midnight, you guys don't notice anything. And even when you ask around... There's not like a curfew or anything, right? It's not illegal to be out after dark? No, not at all. It's a little spooky, dangerous, but no. And even after asking guards if they've seen anybody who meets the description, people don't really know. Have you seen this orc in this goblin? <laughs> and then Anton's walking around. He's like, I don't... Maybe they are already back at the inn? So I imagine by the time you guys get back after looking around, it'll be like an hour or two after that that they actually manage to come back with Klika still fast asleep. Anton will kind of just look like Wild on he's like, where where have you both been? It's been hours. Did something happen? Klika doesn't wake up, by the way. No amount of shaking and like wriggling her around to get her up. None of it wakes her up at all. Can I do a medical check or like a healing check or something? Uh yeah. Medicine check? Yeah, you can do a medicine check if you want. Yeah. Twenty one. Her uh, her breathing is fine. It seems like her eyes look fine under her eyelids or anything. If this is anything, it's either some sort of strange magic or some sort of strange poison. But a poison, if she had taken it, you know, Jarzak can tell, like, it's it's been a long time since she's had it. So for something like that to still be in effect, it had to be some funky, junky, fancy, panty poison. It seems kind of unrealistic. But the other assumption is that it might be magic. Maybe if magical nature's beyond my immediate knowledge. Uh, what would put her in such a sleep? And so with that, the uh, party goes to bed. I don't see if there's any spells I can use to counteract it. Hopefully she'll wake up in the morning. Maybe she just needs her rest. Okay. She needs the kiss from the prince to wake her up now. Uh, it does take its toll. He's like, ha ha. Now you gotta kiss me. But um, with that, uh, the gang goes to sleep and wakes up in the morning, goes downstairs for the breakfast, which is a bunch of incredibly hot cooked bread. Like the, uh, what's that? What's that? Um, 
Indian bread that's cooked. Panan? What? Panan or naan? Naan bread. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. The kind that's cooked against the weird, super hot part of the front. Yeah. Basically, you guys get a heaping breakfast of that with a bunch of like oil mixed veggie spread and stuff. And it's it's a nice breakfast for you guys. Um, And so as you guys get this interesting breakfast down in you, Klika doesn't wake up and she's still fast asleep. Oh, shit. Um, I don't have any magic that could just wake her up. Checking. I don't think guns. Um, will ask like uh, the innkeeper or the bartender or whatever if there's um, like, like a cleric or an apothecary in town who might be able to have a look. Okay, and so they give you directions to a local apothecary, and the uh, apothecary once you guys go over there uh, and ask around about it, she seems to tell you guys that there's really nothing wrong with her, and again, it's just an assumption that it's probably some sort of sleeping magic. For this to be anything really powerful, it would have to be some sort of exceptionally strong spell or maybe something involving a permanency. But for that kind of incantation to be used on your friend just feels incredibly strange and out of place. They said that likely what the case is, is there's something of a duration effect. And it's more than likely just going to end at some point. Whether that's today, tomorrow, next week, next year, it's hard to say. And really, the only person who would know is the person who cast it. This can't be uncast. Um, and so with that, she says that there are spellcasters around who could dispel it, but their services won't be cheap. How expensive is not cheap? Um, I imagine you could probably talk to somebody who's got a heart to them. And you could probably pay like 25 gold to have it done or 50 gold to have it done, somewhere around there. Can she give us a recommendation? Yeah, and the apothecary will give you guys a good deal on it. She'll recommend you and use her name, a little discount code. But yeah, and so for 25 gold pieces, the party can have a dispelling of magic. I'm just double checking. You could just take it out of Klika's coin first. She's got 90 gold. Damn you, Klika. Uh, no, Jarzak could just pay for it. What a nice man. I don't know yeah, that much gold. And so with that, the uh, the uh, magic spell is apparently off and Klika wakes up and her little eyes start to flutter and she yawns deeply and she wakes up from what appears to be some of the deepest sleep she's probably ever had in her entire life. Well, I hope you're well rested because it's long past time you were on the road. You can tell us all about what happened on the march. <laughs> Five more minutes, says Klika. She cast the spell on herself again. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Klika's going to just look around, kind of confused for a moment, and just see the faces of her three friends and traveling companions and just kind of tear up a little bit and just um, whispers the name Torelius, right? Torelius? Torelius? Clica Torelius. Yeah, I'm just trying to... Oh, it's all one word? Ah. 
Uh, yeah, so I think she sort of whispers that under her breath and then just like jumps to her feet and um, looks at Norhill and says, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys know, but you're right. We should get on the road. And uh, are we in a building right now or like, yeah, yeah. just sort of way. like looks at, out the window to see how high the sun is in the sky and stuff and kind of puts her hand over her eyes to shield it because she's just not used to the sudden brightness and says um yeah Klika uh has a lot to talk about I think well as long as you're safe yeah like how you ditched me in a library and got me kicked out Clica just gives all of them a big hug. <laughs> oh, we hug back. That the mage says, get the hell out. <laughs> no, the mage you joins. Pay it. for hospitality. The, <laughs> the mage hugs too. Yeah. <laughs> he just sneaks. Who in. are you? You don't even have a name. He's just like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Nameless the Forgettable. <laughs> oh, no. no. Come again? I don't think I heard that properly. He's like, I spent 30 years at the Mage's Academy just so I could cast this dumb spell once and be forgotten in the campaign. Goodbye, nameless damn no one will never forget you. He's like, I find that highly unlikely. So we've met Charmed, I'm sure, and Nameless the Forgettable. I hope that someday Jarzak does become the king of the orcs, and he hires him to be his court wizard. <laughs> Probably would, yeah. Most that checks power- out. Powerful wizard in the land because no one remembers meeting him. Yeah, that's Jarzak like- doesn't have a court wizard. That just what do you, feels what do you like mean court wizard. <laughs> feels like some Trump level, like freaking uh, what's it called, accountability. There, just be like, hey, you did that spell that one time that was pretty sweet. Come on on board. You're the court wizard. Like, I am highly unqualified for this position. Like, court wizard. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a cool ring to it. Like, this feels like a bad idea. But anyway. And now these orcs are lifting me up and I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out all he casts is dispel. That's his one magical claim to fame. Anytime it's like. Hey, that's a useful spell. It's like, what magic weapon have? Like, none. (laughs) <laughs> like an evil spell has been cast. Like no, it hasn't. God, that's kind of funny. Anyway, um, so with that, the uh, party is going to begin the massive trek across. The- I have to get. I have to get rations because I can't. <laughs> I was going to say ration yeah, check on yeah, uh, Anton real quick. All right, you guys we've gone through the bad. passage at least three times, so I feel bad giving them all away, but not buying more. But I need to. If I don't live, I can't give more away. Well, it is going to be about a, a week long trek out there, and everybody's going to need one per day. So that's a bare minimum of twenty eight of them for the whole party. I did buy twenty eight. I bought a week's worth for everybody, but I know Anton gave some away, and I think Jarzak did too. And and Norhill's got five left, so yeah, you only need to top them up. Yeah, so Klika will cover everybody's rations again, since she feels bad that they had to miss time traveling and everything else. Did you guys want to just get the 28 to make life easy and give everybody a quick seven? 
sure. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe that's easy. <laughs> and it'll just be 15 gold for the rationings. Oh my God. I spent all my money on Clyde. Yes, yeah, I spent all my money on Klika. <laughs> just looks over at Klika. There's the gore at the horse. You just got like eye boogers the size of your thumbnail. He's just like, <laughs> I was sleepy. Like, Klika's just very impressed at how clean Jarzak stayed while she was asleep. No, Jar- I was going to say, while you hugged him, you definitely felt some dirt from him just sitting in the dirt out front of the place. <laughs> There was a perfectly good park bench. He just sat right in the puddle. Yep. Was upset at how dry the desert dirt is and it doesn't stick. <laughs> so he's just sitting there going like, P-tooie. This stuff's useless. It doesn't even stay on your shirt. Rolling around like a dog, just kicking up dust clouds. They're like, hey, knock it off. It's called dust wind. That's not a suggestion. But, okay. Uh, with that, the party heads off on their massive trek across the southern Amarathian homeland passing the mountains of the Halls of Silver and Steel. Um, And the party, within the first day's travel, by about nightfall, um, you guys will make it to one of the points of major intersection out here in Dustwind, uh, probably the farthest away you guys are going to get before getting to the main road that leads up to Eagleheart or the main road that continues west to Aeserese and the uh, elven capital there. So... By the point you guys reach the intersection, you've gone through about a 60 degree change in temperature as it drops and plummets. And not only do you guys have probably the most painful level of shivering body shape, like oh, no. body shift there, but like it is, it is kind of scary how quickly the temperature changed like that. Um, but with that, the uh, party can spend their first night at the crossroads. Um, back into our bearskin cloaks. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be another six days of journey leading you guys through the plains out here uh, before you make it to the forests of Thalvir. So as you guys are traveling through the foothills and into the plains for six days, what would we like to do for our improvisational story time? Again, it's going to be a lot of snow. It's going to be a lot of cold. And at one point, you guys are going to get hit with a blizzard on probably the fourth day. And you're going to get about 10 inches to 12 inches of light snow. It's traversable, but it is a slog. Oh, my God. I'm just going to be using so much burning hands. And I'm literally going to, I'm literally <laughs> going to cast a... What, what the hell spell do I have? One second. That's I'm so going to cast. Just, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, especially because you can only do it like, what, two or three times a day? No, I'm going to do... Burning oil. No. The spell you don't like, Dan. I'm going to do um, Flaming Sphere and what? use it to like clear our path every few like hours to make sure like we just don't get buried in the snow. I don't know, to clear the road, kind of like a plow. But it's yeah, I'll say that in parts where it's its thickest and it's like going uphill <laughs> and slippery and stuff, I'll say that you conjure it and make it roll out a nice melty pathway. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll say that. That's that's a very good use of Anton spells. Wow, does, it, does it freeze before we get to the end so it's just a sheet of ice now instead of snow? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey guys, aren't you so glad I... <laughs> And that was the end of Anton as he fell down the hill and crashed into his own burning stone. Um, but uh, with that, who else has got some improv to talk about? Uh, Norhill would like to have us run into an obstacle of some uh, some kind. 
specifically something that the party is going to have to all work together to overcome. Hmm. I refuse. I'm going to say... I will not be the bottom stack on the pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that what happens is um, once you guys are taking up camp one night in the uh, snow with your big giant tent and the horsies, um, you guys hear the sounds of bellowing howls from wolves in the distance, and they seem to get closer and closer to your camp, enough so that it startles the horses, and in the, in the, uh, in the nighttime hours during, I don't know, who's probably the most likely to lose the horses? Mm, I think the, probably the most likely to lose the horses would be Klika, just because she'd probably like hurry them on their way and be like, on dancer, on prancer, on... <laughs> And so all the horsies run out of the tent in the middle of the night, and they all go missing in the fields. You the- lost my horse. Clyde is gone. I would have no! assumed it would be Anton being the only one who couldn't see at night. Just wait, horses, where'd you go? Cleek, yeah, I thought it was probably safest anyway. But yeah. the, the howling stopped, and at the end of her shift, she probably makes it a note to whoever's next on shift. Probably Norhill, because he asked for this. Um, but yeah, at about like 3 o'clock in the morning, as the stars are beginning to decline... Klika tells Norhill as she slaps him on the shoulder and climbs in her sleeping bag that all the horsies are gone. Norhill looks around and sees that all the horsies are gone. <laughs> They're what? And so with that, the entire party has to wake up from their slumber, get on their warm clothing, and go off into the frozen fields to go track the horses by their little hoof prints. And for what it's worth, it's easy to find them hanging out in the middle, out under the starlight on a clear night, but it's still a pain in the ass to have to go get them. They're only about 30 minutes away. Oh, good. I thought I was going to see mine getting eaten by a wolf dead. Okay. Why would I do that? Anthony's like, Anthony's like, do something that the whole team needs to help on. And a certain obstacle is just like, they're dead. That's quite the obstacle. Yeah, yeah. And now it takes twice as long to get to where you're going. Like, oh, well, we all do have to work together to now overcome the obstacle of the doubling, doubling the journey. But I do think that it makes sense that everybody would have their way of calling for their horsies and everybody would have their own little different technique for it. I imagine Anton's probably the most like genuinely alarmed and concerned for his poor little horsey, but holds up his daylight lantern and his- Yeah, I make like a signal, like a Morse code. Number four, get back here. Number four. The Norhill's sort of got like the opposite of that where he's got, you know, two like, you know, fist-sized rocks that he clacks together. He's just like, they hate it when rocks are fighting. They'll come tell us to stop any minute now. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Um, But with that, okay. And so now, once that's done, you guys are out of the foothills and into the rolling plains. Uh, What's Jarzak going to do for his little improv? Uh, Jarzak would, while we were still in the cold area, would like to look for any, like, rotting logs or stones and try to overturn them probably well when we stop for camp and stuff only to try and find any like bug species he hasn't seen in the warmer climates Hmm. so i imagine what would happen is when the party is trying to maneuver one of the carts down a sheer faced hill like the last big hillock uh jarzak manages to help kind of like guide the coach down the hill as well as the horses and everything. But once he's at the bottom and the party's kind of getting their stuff back together, reallocating the weight so that it didn't become like, you know, like this giant payload coming to smush everything, 
Jarzak looks over to one of the ditches where there seems to have been like a warm water runoff. And you can see that there's like a bit of like that non-frozen ice underneath the ice. You know what I'm talking about? You can see like the air bubbles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you go over here and see some of the reedy weeds. And you see that there's like these weird little snow fleas. There's like these tiny little black flecks that when you get closer, they all start to hop and jump about. But you can tell that they're very much so like fleas. But again, it just looks somebody put like cracked pepper out on the snow. Jarzak tries to get one to land on him. Okay. And it was pretty easy too. Okay. Uh, and he's just going to examine it and uh, try to catch it in a container. Okay. And you got containers? I mean, I would just throw it in like my canteen or something. Yeah. Empty it out. <laughs> okay. And so with that, <laughs> you just flick the uh, little flea inside of there. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. And um, what's the deal with Klika? Um, so I think Klika's going to work on preparing everybody's like meals and stuff. Even if she's not last watch, make sure to wake up a little early to make sure like there's always a hot breakfast using like the dwarven cooking stuff she has and the spices and whatever we have for like in the rations so that we can enjoy like a hot meal for all of our meals throughout the day um, and definitely use prestidigitation to make them taste a little better, all that stuff. Um, but also I think Kalika wants to uh, spend some time with Anton um, and kind of find out about the light and just like it's teachings and everything. Cause she does not super familiar with it, the church or anything like that. So, and she's, kind of interested she has been for a little bit that's why she went with anton to the ter- church in uh gomorrah and all that stuff so i think she'd like anton to tell her a bit about the light and some of the prayers and all that good stuff oh yeah and i guess when i'm i'm gonna have to dig for my notes but the most anton really knows about the light is that it's the good it's the positive, it moves in the forward direction and then there's different facets of following the light. He's, he's in it for the generosity. That's all he was, that's what he was met with when he first arrived in Glory Wake as an orphan and he tried to make sure that that virtue was given to everyone but he kind of keeps himself in check and gives her a note that his, that the grand Oh, I can't remember his name. With that fancy, high... fancy wizard? Yeah, I mean, no, uh, the high priest. Uh, yeah, the high priest there. Yeah, uh, that um, to never go follow blindly into thrill? the light. You... No, Thrail. Thrail, yeah, to never follow blindly into the light. And he says, I may, I know some of my actions may seem that way, but it is easy to fall prey to being too dedicated to your virtues. That is, I find, um, the one flaw of my... Did... Did you... Did you choose the light, or did the light choose you? He kind of shrugs. He's not really... He never really thought of that. He kind of just... Especially, isn't he an orphan himself, raised in a church? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it was kind of just a... 
I don't think he ever felt of it as a choice. I think it was just kind of um, fate. <laughs> uh, I don't think he ever thought of it as like a decision of his or a decision of the light. It was just meant to be. Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of interesting how you two have that little dynamic there between Anton and Kalika where it's like, you know, Kalika running into that whole were you chosen or were you not chosen, but also the idea that Anton's like, the one biggest thing I've had to learn and teach myself is to, you know, keep close to the light but not get too close has to be blinded. Meanwhile, Kalika's just like, if it's not Arbok, I don't want it. And it's like, wait a minute. It's like, what if the Karbok is not as important as I think it is? What if my obsession with family is what leads me to not have family? Dun, dun, dun. Mm. I, have a, I have a quick question. Is Norhill the only one who's not an orphan in this group? Oh, yeah, we <laughs> it, it might be. Norhill, Norhill has his, both parents are living. They own a, okay. <laughs> are, are living as far as he knows. They own a brewery. He has an older brother, a wife, and a son. Wait, he has a wife? He's got it perfectly intact. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I love that. The wife stuff. It's it's Wait, always so good. Roland had a wife. <laughs> yeah, Norhill has a wife and a son. It's in the backstory I sent you, Dan. I guess just because we haven't had any connection to them. Oh, that's going to be some harsh backstory when you find out that they're not alive. Anyway, oh, no. the no, I'm just kidding. Or am I? Hey, anyway. I, I just I figured he was the only one who wasn't, but I just I wasn't. I wanted to be sure. <laughs> yeah, Norhill's family is perfectly intact. Yep. Hopefully. They better be. Well, yeah. judging by that note you got, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's okay. Really? I'm sure I'm sure Storyline wouldn't let that happen to you. I wouldn't use your backstory as blackmail to get you to do things. Of course I am. But any hoozles. As yeah, the- so I think Klika does that. Um, she learns a couple of the prayers that Anton says and says prayers with Anton every once in a while. Like when he seems particularly troubled by like the cold and all that stuff and is blasting off fire magic like a mad person <laughs> and talking to his horse. Um, Why do I feel like this, the prayers you would learn would either be like that song Blinded by the Light or it'd be the uh, song by the weekend that just became like super popular a couple months ago? I feel like that would be it. It'd just be like... Dun, dun, and then just be Anton being like... <laughs> just bobbing along with it. Yeah, yeah. Right. those are the priors. Click has just got this weird combo now of dwarvish uh, battle commands and prayers of the light. Yep. There you go. Um, but, okay. And so by about the point that you guys start to reach into the thickets of the uh, force of Thalvir, um, I am going to need a perception check from the party. Can we do persuasion instead? Yes. No. Thanks. Perfect. Damn you. Click. I got a four. Seventeen. That's a one. Oh. A thirteen. You said seventeen for Jarzak. Yep. Oh, here we go. So, um, both Anton and Jarzak are pretty easy able to tell that as you guys enter uh, a thick forested glade and you guys start walking through what appears to be like, I mean, it's the elven wood. So a lot of these trees are a lot thicker and more robust than you guys would have expected. Um, but a lot of these big decidu- I mean, carnivorous trees out here managed to hold their needles, obviously. 
But for what it's worth, the snow doesn't really coat the ground in any way that's not just super picturesque and beautiful. And the smell of fresh pines is like everywhere. It's a very enchanting aroma. But all the while, you guys start to recognize how oddly quiet it is out here. And as the sun falls and you guys are under such thick tree cover, it's very easily apparent that you're going to need some sort of lights if you guys are going to have any low light vision. And relying on dark vision is probably the best case scenario for everybody. But once the party sets up camp in the woods and um, you guys have an opportunity to kind of rest, uh, do you set up a campfire? I'm going to say yes, but Norhill is going to be kind of like super superstitious about it. Like, no, this should be held in wood. Now, if we're not very careful, they'll shoot us all dead. So, only be so make sure that you're only lighting already dead wood. Shouldn't we just use my lamp? Therefore, we aren't burning any wood at all. Yeah, but I mean, it also... Oh, it's still the middle of winter. We don't want to freeze to death. Bundle up. Let's go. I, I, I don't know how you guys feel. Well, I kind of do, but like, I don't feel comfortable b burning stuff in here. Have you seen these trees? I mean, Norhill did bring up a good point of only burning tree branches that are already dead and have fallen. You know what I mean? That way it's not like anybody's chopping down any branches or anything like that and it's only using the dead ones Agreed. i don't know if that's good so, enough if that's our if that's our only resort then I'm, I'm okay with that okay is that cool with the whole party uh i think for clica's watch she'll have the fire out if everyone's like bundled up in the tent because is the the fire there's not room for it in the actual tent right it would be outside yeah, yeah for the person keeping watch yes yeah. so i think clica will put out the fire with a uh, prestidigitation and then uh relight it for whoever's coming out uh, yeah, on the second I, watch as or Jar after her as jarzak comes out after he's just like no we're, we're good you can leave it um, I will say this much, before we even reach the point where everybody's taking up watches and all that stuff, as soon as the first fire is stoked and the fire seems to be just about ready, um, Jarzak and Anton hear something in the tree line in the distance, and you guys can hear like the snap of a twig up high as if something in the trees is moving around. Um, and as you guys are kind of like darting eyes back and forth, a black thick globe of eternal darkness envelops the entirety of the campfire and everybody around it in pitch black darkness and as Jarzak continues to look in the same direction he was whereas everybody else is sort of like ah, I can't see anything Jarzak looks up and sees a troop of those black robed figures standing at the uh, limbs of the trees above and one of them seems to be wearing more billowy robes than the others. And you see him moving his hands in a way that he's casting some sort of spells and pointing down at the group of them and sort of like fingering around for everybody who's in that troop of where they should be jumping down and attacking in on the darkness. But Jarzak never breaks a beat and sees right up at it. And that's yeah. where we're going to end it. Uh. God damn it, I need to cast fucking daylight. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous.
Thanks.